Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> I wanted to, um, before we get started, I want to give you a quick update on um, what's going on with our, with our friends in Ukraine. Um, as many of you know, we've raised more than enough money to buy all 10 of the generators that they needed for this winter. Amen? Plus some. And so I've been going back and forth, and um, we're like on Viber, which is like a texting app. And um, just seeing how things are going. And just be, continue to be praying for Pastor Sergey, his wife Valentina, and, uh, and their church as they're literally housing and feeding hundreds of refugees that are trying to go west to get away from the fighting. They just this past Wednesday had um, a, a Russian missile explode like half a mile from their house, um, which, is, which is really close. And, um, and they are experiencing... Um, power outages all over Ukraine and different places. So the, the foresight of needing these generators is so, so huge. This is one of the evangelistic meetings that they had. Um, you can see it's freezing cold in there. You know, you think it's cold in here. You start wearing stocking caps every, every single um, Sunday. That's, uh, they lost power and things like that. But the next, uh, the next slide, this is uh, Pastor, I'm gonna, I don't wanna mess up his name, Pastor Bogachev in Nikopol, Ukraine. And, um, and you'll recognize Pastor Sergei on the right, and this is um, Pastor uh, Bogachev on the left. And that's one of the uh, 10 generators that you guys purchased. And that's going, he's actually a, a bishop over a region of churches. And so they're going to be using that as they're helping provide and care for people and feed people and house people um, throughout the churches. And that's one of them that's going to go into a, a different church to be to be just providing for them. So thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for just your heart and responding. It's one thing to have a bleeding heart. It's another thing to have an open pocketbook. And, um, and I, I love the fact that like you, you guys respond to the call of, of the heart of God and, um, and respond even when it sometimes hurts. And usually that hurts when we open up our pocketbooks. And so you guys are pouring into uh, to people, providing real needs, felt needs, and spiritual needs all over on the other side of the world. Amen? Well, uh, we're in a series going through the book of 1 Corinthians together. This is really, it, we call it 1 Corinthians, but it's probably the second letter of three, if not four letters that Paul wrote to a church in ancient Greece known as Corinth. Um, these are people that don't speak the same language as you, very different culture than you, and... Um, ancient, like a long, long time ago. And as we've been going through it, it really, ha it's amazing how much of the human condition we can relate to. Um, and we can relate to the city that they're in and the struggles that they go through. Um, we are quite literally reading somebody else's mail. And uh, that's, I, I love that because not only is it the inspired word of God through the Apostle Paul, but it's also specifically a letter to a group of people, uh, Jesus followers. So it's not written to the mayor of Corinth. Uh, it's not written to the people of the city of Corinth. It's written to the believers, those that um, would call and follow Jesus. And, uh, and I want to remind you of that as we get into it, because if you thought that 1 Corinthians 5 was rough, just buckle up. For 1 Corinthians 6, okay? Um, I said last week, you know, make sure you keep your arms, legs. I said last week, you know, make sure you get hands inside the ride at all times. This week, in the case of 
of the loss of cabin pressure. Masks will fall from the ceiling. Make sure that you strap them over your head and, uh, and mouth and uh, put them on yourself first before you help your neighbor. Um, because 1 Corinthians 6, he really drills down into what he just touched on in 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5, he talked about a guy that was sleeping with his stepmom, which is for anybody. Like, okay, dude, like there's lines and you crossed it. Like, um, even if you're Jesus follower, not, whatever, you're like, yeah. Um, in 1 Corinthians 6, he drills down on this root issue of sexual immorality. And um, let me remind you that the city of Corinth, the city that this church that is being written to is, resides in, it was kind of like the original sin city. It was like the Las Vegas of ancient Greece. Um, it had 12 pagan temples in the city. The most notable one was the Temple of Aphrodite. And if you are up to snuff on all of your pagan um, deities, your, your Greek gods and goddesses, you'll know that Aphrodite was the goddess of sexual love. And um, at the time of the writing of this letter, there were a thousand temple prostitutes that were employed there. Now think about that. Like 1,000 temple prostitutes were employed at this pagan temple of, of Aphrodite. So prostitution was not only like um, encouraged, it was actually how you worshiped your pagan deity. That's twisted, huh? Let's just say uh, they didn't have a problem getting men going to church in that day and age. Um, I, and I mean that. Um, now, all joking aside, like, they were not just confronting sexual immorality. Paul is confronting, quite literally, their cultural idol. I mean, that's the, that's the gravity of what he's, what he's confronting here. Um, so before we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want us to just think about what that might mean for us. In our cultural context, could it be that we have the same cultural idol? Because we vehemently defend our idols, don't we? 1 Corinthians 6, buckle up. Uh, verse 9, we're going to start up. Um, and he just hits the ground running. Um, verse 9 and 10, he says, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the drunk, greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> that, was, that was a lot. Um, let me just level with you for just a minute. My guess is that you breezed right through the greedy, drunkard, slanderer, swindler part, as if it was a list all its own. And you probably got stuck a little bit, at least a little bit as you were reading it, um, on the sexually immoral adulterers and men who have sex with men. Just guessing. Um, and I would venture to say that the Corinthians that were reading this letter thought the exact same thing. They, they reacted the same way. Um, because isn't it interesting that those things that involve our sexuality incite so much more emotional energy than the other things on the list. They just do. 
Um, it's almost like those other things that are listed, the things that are listed as sexual sins are, are different. And I think Paul would agree because it is different, isn't it? I mean, think about it like the other ones, greedy. Well, we know that greedy is only relegated to people that are richer than you. You get that. I understand that. Booze, you know, the drunkard, they can, you can sleep off a hangover. Everything's good. Slandering someone, that's just, well, that's just Facebook. Like, I mean, you can usually mask that self as fake news. I mean, that didn't actually happen. You can edit. You can chain that back. You can take that. No, no big deal. Swindlers, we don't even know what that means, but it's probably it's somebody who's misunderstood or mistaken or um, wrongly accused. Like, but a swindler isn't a word that we use anymore, so we didn't take offense to that. But sexually immoral, like that's somehow different. And, and we know it. Don't we? Like, in fact, many of us um, have different definitions of what sexual sin is, even in here. Um, not based upon the Bible, necessarily, actually at all, but more dependent upon our own personal proclivities and our opinions and our experiences. Um, and I think what, what Paul is, is writing to the people in the Corinthian church and reminding them as they live in this sin city, this den of kind of iniquity with prostitution everywhere and all these things. He's saying, like, you are not called to watch the world and then be just a lighter shade of gray than the world. You are called to read the word and then live out of that as a light in the darkness. And I fear, and I think Paul would fear, that the church is taking its cues from the wrong source. Like you're, you're actually starting from the wrong source. Um, and so when it comes to sexual things, we, we, we find ourselves either filled with pride in it or filled with shame over it. And it's usually one of those two things because we tend to vehemently defend our opinions of it. And then, then Paul quickly changes gears and he says this in verse 11. He says, and that is what some of you were that you were washed, that you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is so significant. I love how, how Paul literally like throws out verse 9 and 10. It's like a bomb that just blows up, and then he comes right in in verse 11. He's reminding them of their identities. He's reminding them of who they are in Christ. And he's essentially saying, like, look, if you're outside of Christ and you don't know and you're not a person of faith and you don't believe in Jesus and all those things, I totally get it. You can literally, I mean, just your, your identity is whatever you make it. But I'm, he's just saying, if you are in Christ, man, don't be confused about who you are. Don't be confused about whose you are. And, and, and essentially, and this flies in the face of our culture, he's saying to these Corinthians, he's like, your identity is deeper than your sexuality. And that will get me canceled. Your thought, you thought that your identity was who you wanted to sleep with. You thought that your identity was who you were attracted to. And Paul's saying, your, your identity is so much deeper than that. 
Please tell me that your identity is deeper than the color of your skin. Please tell me that your identity is deeper than your race. Please tell me your identity is deeper than your gender, your socioeconomic status. Please tell me, church, you are more than that. Paul is reminding us, he's like, if you are in Christ, then your identity is first and foremost rooted in Jesus. Don't forget that. Because in Jesus, thank you, because in Jesus... You are washed. You have been made clean. In Jesus, you have been sanctified. You are set apart. You are set apart holy. In Jesus, you've been justified, declared not guilty through Jesus Christ. So if you want to to, to know your identity, he's saying, please don't stop short and simply find your identity in your sexuality. It's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's bigger than that. The fullness of your identity is in Jesus. And then he comes in and, and he kind of pokes, I think, maybe it's because I'm sarcastic. I think that, I think he's being a little sarcastic here. He's kind of poking at some of their sayings that they had back in first century uh, Corinth. He says, the, f- the first saying is this, I have the right to do anything. You see that in verse 12. I have the right to do anything. Doesn't that sound eerily familiar? I'm just, I mean, come on. Like, I have the right to, it sounds a little bit like you do you, who am I to say, live your truth, I'll live mine, you live yours. Like, he says, "This this is kind of what they lived by. This was their motto. I have the right to do anything. We read it in verse 12. He says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. And then he says it again, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. In other words, he's like, true, you have the right to do anything. Like, yeah, absolutely, you have the right to do anything. But but that doesn't mean that everything's a good idea. You have the right to do anything, but, but, but please watch out that you don't allow your freedom to lead you into slavery. And he goes on in verse 13. He hits another saying. So not only is one of their sayings, I have the right to do anything, one of their other sayings, and I guess this is a saying, I don't know, it's kind of weird to me. It says, you say, in verse 13, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. I don't know. I'm not a first century um, Greek, but that apparently was a saying. I have, like, what in the world does that mean? Food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. Essentially, the Corinthians were, were comparing their hunger for food and their appetite for sex. They're like, it's just natural. When I'm hungry, I eat. When I'm horny, I have sex. Please don't tweet that. Like... <laughs> He's like, it's just natural, it's just physical. It's not a big deal. You're making this into more than it is. Like, like stomach's for food, food for the stomach. God's going to destroy them both. Like, same thing with sex. It's just not, it's not that big of a deal. It's like you're, you're making it a big deal. And um, he's essentially saying kind of what our world says is sex is just physical. And Paul says, no, no, you're thinking about it wrong. He says in verse 13, the body, however, is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And when we read that word, like, however, is not meant for sexual morality, um, that word, we, we don't hear that much anymore. 
I can't remember the last time I heard somebody say, oh, I'm talking about some sexual immorality. Like, I have no, I remember the last time I heard that. I mean, especially outside of the walls of a church, and you barely ever hear it even inside the walls of the church. Um, those, those two words will get you canceled almost for saying it. I mean, you can't, to say that like anything that is sexual is immoral is taboo at best. Um, and so that word that he uses that we translate as sexual morality is the word, word well, it's a Greek word, porneia. It's where we get the word pornography from. Um, and it essentially means any sexual activity outside of marriage. And if you get to the heart of it, essentially what, what it's communicating is selling off something that is very valuable for cheap. Paul's saying, yeah, 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 you have the right to do anything. I, yeah, I get that, but, but don't treat sex like it's fast food. I mean, like, don't just do whatever will satisfy you in the moment because your body was made for more than that. You're, he, he reminds me, he's like, your body was made to give God glory. And this right here, this is the crux for Christians. I'm not talking to the city. I'm, I'm just saying for, like, those who follow Jesus Christ and believe that the Word of God is the Word of God. Like, the crux is this. Either your story is part of the greater story of the creation that you are one of God's daisies, right? That he made specifically. That you are a masterpiece. Either you're part of that greater story that he created you, redeemed you, that he owns you. Or your faith is simply, simply something that you hold to and decide what you want to believe and what you don't want to believe indiscriminately. And, and we're faced with this reality. It's like, well, wait a minute. We're like, in our culture, um, we're told that, like, sex is just physical. And he says in verse 15, this is what Paul says. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never, he says. Verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. What in the world is Paul talking about here? Honestly, I'm going to just, just get it down to base level. He's saying sex is not just physical. That sex is more than physical. That, 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 God, that, that God created sex as his invented way for you to give yourself so deeply to someone that that it actually results in personal transformation. Like there is a uniting that happens. I'm just reading it. There's a uniting that happens that, that we don't understand. But we kind of do. Don't we? Let me show you what I mean. I'm going to read some questions to you. Um, they're probably going to surface some stuff that you don't like to think about or maybe some stuff that you never thought about, which you're like, well, that's just been this message so far, so let's just par for the course. Um, these are questions that I don't have answers to, just full disclosure. These are questions that um, you and I may not even agree on the answers to. The only reason I ask these questions is to get all of us to feel the gravity of sexual sin, uh, to realize that we, well, to realize what we already know, that sex is not just physical. So the first one is this. Why is it that when a child is sexually abused and when they get older, 
and begin to connect the dots. Why is it that it's so hard to shake? Why is it that usually something that's carried through somebody's entire life, and in many cases, it significantly affects their life, their social interactions, their view of God, and their love life? Like if sex is just physical, then they should be able to just shake it off and move on. But we know that it's more than that. Number two, why is it that rape is so different to a woman than simply being beat up? Why is it that many women will report being beat up, but many will hide the secret of rape and never tell anyone? Like if sex is just physical, then it should be just like being beat up. You should report it, get out of the relationship, and move on. It's a distant memory. But it's not that easy. Why? Because sex is not just physical. And we know it. Number three, why is it that men who have the deepest sexual issues usually have uninvolved or distant fathers? Why is it that when men who have sexual addictions begin to deal with their addictions, they realize that, they're, that it's connected to something else, maybe in their past, because there's something that is rooted in the deepest part of their being? Number four, why is it that most people's deepest regrets are sexual? Why is it that as a pastor, when somebody comes to me and they're like, Pastor Justin, there's something that I want to tell you that I've never told anyone. How is it that I know that it's not, I stole a pack of gum when I was 12 years old? How is it? How is it that I know that I know that I know? How do I audit? It has to do with sexual sin. Because we know it's different. And we want to treat it like it's just physical. I didn't know her name. It was spring break. It's just videos on the internet. It's just pictures. I can, I can manage it. But deep down, deep down, we know. We know it's more than physical. Whether we understand it or not, when you join yourself sexually to somebody, you're creating a covenant with them. And the problem with sexual immorality is that you create a covenant with somebody without actually submitting to the covenant. Can you? Thanks, bud. You create a covenant with somebody without actually submitting to it. And when you create a covenant with somebody without submitting to the covenant, you create a soul tie. And soul ties can be good. Like you can, through marriage and good friendships, like you can have great soul ties that are intense connections that create bonds between two people. But then there's also sexual immorality that creates soul ties that, that create a soul tie that you never meant to make, and you end up tying yourself to a person or persons that you're not in covenant with, and so you have thoughts and emotions and memories that become connected to someone and you didn't even realize it. so do we understand what Paul is talking about when he says this? Heck no. We don't understand this. Soul ties? What? That sounds like voodoo. Like, what are you talking about? Like, does this make any sense? No. And yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, it kind of does make some sense. 
And so Paul tells the Corinthians how to handle it. He's like, okay, so given, given your culture, given your past experiences, given your proclivities, I know where you guys are at. I know the city that you're in. I know the temple of Aphrodite. I know all of these things, guys. Here's what I want you to do. And he says this in verse 18. He says, flee from sexual immorality. In other words, run. Run as fast as you can. Which is weird because in other, other scriptures you hear about like sin and it's like stand your ground, resist the enemy and he will flee from you. But Paul says when it comes to sexual enemy, you just need to run. And my fear is, is that many of us are walking away from what God tells us to run from. And, and here's the reality. As long as you're just going for a walk, you can always circle back around and go back to it. But when you run, Paul's like, you need to run and get as far away from it as possible. When you're running away from something, you're leaving something behind. You're not just going for a walk and maybe kind of doing a loop and I'm going to come back to it in a few minutes. Like, no, he's like, you need to flee, to run, to get away from it as far as, as possible. And so what does that look like? What does that look like for us? What does that look like for you? What does that look like for me? For some of you, honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to poke on you a little bit. Um, that means that you need to take out your phone and you need to delete that guy's phone number. Like, just delete his contact. That, the guy that you know, it's, just, it's never been a good thing. And, you, you know, when he, when he texts or that call or that comes in, you know that you just need to get rid of it. Maybe it's a few people's phone numbers. I don't know what that is for you. But that, that's your fleeing. That's your running. For some of you, maybe you need to actually, like, break off that relationship that you know has been stealing from you. You're just like, man, you know what, this is, I need to finally make a decision because my indecision has actually been a decision. So I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make this decision. And for some of you, you need to maybe, maybe your running means, means treating pornography like it's serious. Um, we may not have a thousand temple prostitutes in Biddeford, but we have like access to thousands of digital prostitutes at our fingertips. Um, can, I, can I speak strictly to the parents in here right now? Um, if you're not a parent, you can, you can check out. You're like, phew. <laughs> if you are struggling with sexual morality and you're not doing anything about it, for goodness sake, do it for your kids. Do it for your kids. If you would say, like, well, you know what? I would do anything for my children. Then for goodness sake, flee from it for them. Because you certainly do not want them to fall into the same grip of temptation that the junk that you're in. Do it for them. Protect them. Protect yourself, but please protect them. Protect your home. Protect your marriage. Protect your kids. At the very least, put a filter on your internet. The very least, for yourself, for the people that come into your home and, and, are, and are getting onto your Wi-Fi. So for me, this is free. I won't even charge you for it. Um, on my phone and on, my, uh, on my, my laptop that I have for work and at, and at home, I have a thing called Covenant Eyes. It's a thing where I literally load it onto my computer, onto my phone, and accountability partner gets a, an, a report every week if there's been any sites or things that I've visited on my phone or any of my technology. It's a way for me to just be accountable. Why? Because I'm not above accountability. There's another thing I, I called Open DNS that I put on. It's, it's so stupid easy. It's ridiculous. It's free. And you can put it on your, on your um, internet router at home, and it automatically blocks out all of the junk that comes in through, through the internet for you and for the people in, in your home. Now, 
Here's, here's the thing. Maybe for you, that means you're, you're going to do something about that. So, and it expires at 10 p.m. tonight. If you go to nlc.today right now until 10 p.m. tonight, there's a, there's a banner on the top of the screen. It says you want to you do something about, your, about the Internet. And those two things, Covenant Eyes and OpenDNS, links to both of those things immediately for you to be able to do that. And you're like, well, why, why is it only up there till 10 p.m.? Because I know tomorrow you won't do it. Because if you're going to flee, you're going to flee now. You're not going to flee tomorrow. If, you, if there's ever going to be a point, let's just be honest right now. If there's ever going to be a point where you're going to be like, yeah, I'm done with this junk. I'm done with this junk. It's going to be right stinking now. Like maybe, maybe not even once you get out the door. I'm just, let's be very, very honest right now, right? There's no way you're waking up tomorrow morning and be like, yeah, what am I going to do? Well, maybe I'm looking at running and fleeing from sexual morality this morning. No. Like if you're going to do it, you're going to do it now. So 10 p.m., that's all you get, 10 p.m. If, if you need something after that, you can text me or email me afterwards and I'll, I'll, get, I'll get you connected to it. But um, maybe treat it like it's serious. I'll keep on going. Verse 18. All, he, he, why do we flee? Why do we run? He says in verse 18, all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Paul literally finally just says what we've been talking about this whole time, which he's like, literally, sexual sin is different than other sins. Other sins that I commit affect other people. If I lie to you, that affects you. It leads you astray. If I, my anger spills out, right, my anger actually hurts you. It hurts people around me. But, but sexual sin, and this is what Paul's saying, and this is what we know, like sexual sin kind of has its own category. But please hear me. It's not because God hates it more. It's not because God's grossed out by it. It's not because God's against LGBTQ and this and that and all these things. It's not because God is going to judge you more harshly. It's not because God's going to send you to hell over it. It's not because God can't forgive you from it. It's just because sexual sin, like no other sin, affects you at the deepest parts imaginable. And we know it. And we know it. Why don't you stand with me? Verse 19, he says, and this is what I love. Because as, as much as he's getting down into the, 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 just the dirt of, of life, he gives us this like, don't forget this. Verse 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? I don't even understand what that means. It's glorious though. Who is in you? Whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Church, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I mean, Paul, like, literally, he turns around, he's like, do you realize how precious you are? Do you realize how valuable you are? Do you realize how when you do that, you're literally taking something that is valuable and selling it for cheap? And he's like, who owns you? Do you own you? your sexual appetite on you? Like, have you made it into an idol in your life? Like, Paul reminds us, he's like, you belong to Jesus, which means that you're no longer for sale. You were bought at a price. And so don't give away for cheap what God sees as valuable.
Your body is not your own if you are in Christ. Therefore, honor God with your body. Now, here's the reality. You've been real quiet. Because there's all kinds of the feels in here. I mean, all over the place. Some of you are like, get me out of here. Some of you are ticked off at me. Some of you don't even like, don't want to hear it. Some of you are like, hallelujah, finally. Someone's standing up for something. Look at all of the, all the feels, all the feels, all the feels, all, all of them. I guarantee you. Person next to you is not having the same feels as you are. Just telling you that. But here's what I know is that if God's in it and his word is true, then he doesn't do it to bring shame, guilt, and condemnation. He does it to bring truth and freedom. He does it because he's a good dad who sees things differently than we do. That his ways are higher than our ways. That his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity. and That opportunity is to just surrender. It, it's a prayer that I wrote up. We're going to read it together if you want to. And it's a prayer of sexual surrender. Um, so matter, no matter what your preference is, no matter what your lifestyle is, no matter what your persuasion is, and I mean that, you're all called to surrender your sexuality to your Savior and to your Lord. So I'm an equal opportunity offender here today. Please don't think that I'm picking on any of you. I'm picking on every single one of you, including myself. So what does that mean? It means that whether you're attracted to men or whether you're attracted to women or whether you identify as transgender or LGBTQ, God says, bring it to me. I'm not scared of it. I'm not scared of it. God sees you and knows you better than you know yourself. And he's like, come, come to me. Just bring it to me. Surrender it to me. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 says this, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am humble and gentle in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Surrender me help you with it because he can handle it and give you strength that is greater than willpower so i want to invite you to pray a prayer with me um it's a prayer of sexual surrender here's what i'll say if you don't want to please don't please don't feel pressurized please don't feel strong-armed please don't feel any of that because here's and i really truly believe this that like we're in the middle of, a, of an opportunity for god to work a miracle in many people's lives today I believe that it could be the beginning for some of you to not just walk, but to run. And I want to warn you though, and this is full disclosure. If you want to do this and you mean it, get ready. Like get ready for God to change your mind on things. Get ready for God to change your behavior. Get ready to God give you discernment in your romantic relationships. Get ready for God to change your habits and to prick your heart and to heal your hurts. Get ready to never regret it again. 
Lord Jesus, I pray that you would prepare the hearts of people in here today. God, I pray that those that have just heard the word of God and know that it's for them, God, I pray that this would be a moment of freedom, a moment of release, a moment of surrender, the very deepest part of ourselves and allow you to heal us, allow us to shape us, change us, make us and mold us to be more like you. We're open to whatever it is that you have. We thank you. So I want to encourage you, if you want to, you can read this along with me. We'll read it together. God, I don't know how to do this on my own. So I am giving you my sexuality. I have done things, said things, and experienced things that I know were outside your will for me. Today, I'm asking you to take ownership. Reset my priorities to purity. Refocus my thoughts on faithfulness. Renew my mind with your identity for me. Rebuild my self-worth until I truly believe I'm your masterpiece. Realign my perspective to see myself and others the way you see us. Restore my broken pieces and make me new. I give you permission to uproot the areas of rejection, pain, hurt, shame, guilt, and bad examples that negatively shaped my perspective. I'm asking for you to cultivate in me the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today, I surrender my sexuality to you. I am yours. Lord, I thank you for those in here that that made that decision to pray that prayer, to just say, God, I, I surrender all of me to you again in a fresh. Lord, I pray that it would be the beginning of not just a walk, but of running towards you. Isaiah 40 says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And so Jesus, I pray that this would be the beginning of a shift, the beginning of a change, the beginning of us taking our hands off of something that we thought was ours and giving it over to you so that you can claim us and call us God, shape us, mold us, make us to be more like you. Remind us of who we are. And may that, may that dictate everything that we live, everything